chapter 56. Thus says the Lord, Observe justice and perform righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Toward the end of chapter 55, people are called to repentance, but one must go on from there, not just forsaking old ways, sinful ways and thoughts, but going on to do good. So eat what is good in verse 2, chapter 55. In other words, keep covenant all the way, not just a beginning phase. Justice and righteousness, of course, are the foundation of all good and covenant blessings and are the foundation of the covenant. Covenant keeping is defined as righteousness, or righteousness is defined as covenant keeping. And if you do that, you will observe justice in your relationships with your fellow man, woman. For soon my salvation will come, that is, the Lord himself is coming. Chapter 62, verse 11 says, See your salvation comes, his reward with him, his work preceding him. That's the person, the Lord himself, who personifies salvation, as we've already seen in many instances. And he's going to come. So, if you want to be around when he comes, then do more than just repent. Live righteously. Keep covenant with the Lord, and you'll be able to dwell in his presence. For soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be revealed. Righteousness is also a person, the one who prepares the way before salvation. Righteousness must be established first so that salvation can come. Otherwise, those people will perish in his presence. They won't be able to endure his presence. He's on such a higher level of the spiritual ladder than they are. They must be in proximity to him for him to be able to dwell with them and for them to dwell with him. The revealing of righteousness parallels the arm of the Lord being revealed in the book of Isaiah. The Lord has bared his holy arm or revealed his holy arm in the eyes of all nations. Chapter 52, verse 10. And the bearing of the arm or the revealing of the arm is the same as the awakening and clothing with power of the arm of the Lord in chapter 51, verse 9, where righteousness and salvation are also mentioned in the preceding verse. The revealing of the arm is the Lord's intervention in the affairs of his people, and it is righteousness that is revealed because righteousness right now is hidden. It has to be revealed all over again to show what it really is. It's like the paradigm has been lost and needs to be taught once more. That's the Lord's way. In any given instance in his people's history, he raises up servants, men of God, prophets, who come and tell the people in that day and age how to live righteously with the particular challenges and circumstances in which they find themselves at that time. And the servant does that. Righteousness is revealed so that salvation may come. The one is contingent on the other. The two are linked all the way through the book of Isaiah. Righteousness establishes his people firmly in chapter 54, verse 14. Verse 2, Blessed is the man who does so, the person who holds fast to them, to what? To salvation and righteousness. The last two things mentioned. So blessed is the man who holds fast to them, to righteousness and to salvation, to arms of God, who keeps the Sabbath without profaning it, who stays his hand from doing evil. The Sabbath day gives you a pulse or an indicator of how your covenant keeping is doing, what your covenant keeping is like. The Sabbath is one of the laws of the covenant. It was given as a sign between the Lord and Israel, the Lord and his people anciently under the law of Moses, and it was an indicator of what people's devotions to God really consist of. If they're devoted to God and keep covenant with him, you can tell from their Sabbath observance, it tells you. Who keeps the Sabbath without profaning it, who stays his hand from doing any evil. 
the specific and the general. Sabbath keeping is specific, stays his hand from doing any evil. You don't do any evil at all. Such a person is blessed. But you can tell by the way he uses that terminology, the man who does so, the person who holds fast to them. It's not everybody doing that. Only a man here, a person there. And we've seen that idea before in um, earlier chapters where a man will keep alive a young cow and a pair of sheep. As for me, the children the Lord has given me. We shall be a sign of importance. Just individuals here and there respond to the messengers that the Lord sends in his name. Isaiah likens them to a tithing of the people. Always the minority, always the few, rather than the many. What a pity that is. And so many could be partaking of the Lord's blessings. Blessed is the man who does so, the person who holds fast to them, who keeps the Sabbath without profaning it. More on that subject, on the Sabbath without profaning it, in chapter 58. Who stays his hand from doing any evil? Evil is synonymous with covenant breaking. It implies one that keeps covenant. Verse 3, Let not the foreigner who adheres to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, I am but a barren tree. Well, the foreigners and eunuchs anciently were the bottom rung of society. They were people captured from foreign nations and made slaves in the king's palace or in the affairs of the kingdom, they were the ones that everybody used to do the menial jobs and to do things that nobody else wanted to do. They were generally despised by the people because they were not their own kind. This bottom category of society adheres to the Lord. In other words, even though these may be foreigners that have come in from other countries, they're not native Israelites, they nevertheless adhere to the Lord. They come from among the Gentiles and yet they have adopted the Lord God of Israel as their Lord also. Because they're ostracized in society, they think, I'm not really one of them. How can I ever be one of them? Surely the Lord will exclude me from his covenant people. They're his people, I'm not, because they treat me that way. I'm made to feel that way, as if I'm not one of them. And what does the Lord say? Not so. The eunuch too, I'm but a barren tree. There is the metaphor tree describing a person, as is used in other contexts of Isaiah. And because he's made a eunuch, he can't marry and have children, and he's kind of that way for life. And the Lord says, thus is the Lord. Verse 4, as for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose to do what I will, holding fast to my covenant, to them I will give a hand clasp and a name within the walls of my house that is better than sons and daughters. I will endow them with an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Wow. Lots of things going on here. First of all, the eunuchs keep the Sabbaths or some of them do anyway. And that's what verse 2 is talking about. Blessed is the man who does so, the person who holds fast to salvation and to righteousness, keeps the Sabbath without profaning it. Who will do this? Well, a person here, a person there. Eunuchs, for example, foreigners. They want to be the covenant people of the Lord, and they actually keep the Sabbath day holy, which is an indicator of general covenant keeping. Holding fast to my covenant here is parallel with choosing to do what I will, which implies that we don't do what we will. We do what God wills. And that is keep the terms of his covenant. Holding fast to the covenant, the two ideas there are paralleled. So if you go into covenant with the Lord, you do what the Lord wants, not what you want. Does that mean you're totally subservient to him? Yes, but you have freedom. Within the law of covenant keeping, there is a tremendous enjoyment of covenant blessings that otherwise cannot come. So it's a voluntary, eyes-open type of commitment that you enter into. And with it comes empowerment and many other covenant blessings. 
To them I will give a hand clasp and a name. Now we saw that earlier on with regard to the servant in chapters 42, 44, and 45. For example, the Lord grasps his anointed Cyrus by the right hand, chapter 45, verse 1, and names him in chapter 45, verse 4. And that is temple imagery. And it happens when the emperor makes a covenant with his vassal king. And it is an unconditional covenant we're talking about. A covenant of grind or an everlasting covenant that comes after the vassal proves himself loyal or faithful under all conditions. To them I will give a hand clasp and a name within the walls of my house. Within the temple, it's a temple ordinance in which God takes the place of emperor and with whomsoever he covenants takes the place of the vassal. A name that is better than sons or daughters. In other words, in having children on this earth. Because it has eternal consequences. It's not limited to this earth. Remember, Abraham had posterity on this earth as the sands of the seashore, but also a celestial posterity as numerous as the stars of the heavens for multitude. I will endow them with an everlasting name. A name means also posterity that shall not be cut off like a dynasty. Chapter 66, verse 22 says, As the new heavens and new earth which I make shall endure before me, so shall your offspring and name endure. The name endures and goes on down to generations so long as the earth and heavens are there because it's carried forward by your offspring. It's linked to offspring. Here, these people who are eunuchs are promised a posterity. What is better than a literal posterity on the earth? Well, maybe a celestial posterity. It's about the only thing that could be or posterity beyond this earth. The highest blessings of the covenant, really, the unconditional covenant that God makes with those who prove loyal, faithful under all conditions. So, in other words, he takes these lowest of the low and puts them on the highest of the high before him. The foreigners who adhere to the Lord, verse 6, to serve him, who love the name of the Lord, that they may be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without profaning it, holding fast to my covenant, these will I bring to my holy mountain and gladden in my house of prayer. Again, reiterating the same kinds of things. Foreigners who adhere to the Lord to serve him. They covenant with the Lord to be his servants, to do his will, to keep the law of the covenant. And these are aliens, these are Gentiles. The foreigners who adhere to the Lord to serve him, who love the name of the Lord, that they may be his servants. Now there is a second occasion in which we have servants appearing. The servants were first mentioned in chapter 54, verse 17. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is of me, says the Lord. And here we see these foreigners, these Gentiles, becoming his servants, attaining the highest level that people are capable of. And that's an anomaly. The Lord exalts them among his people while they were humbled or came from the humblest of origins. Again, showing the principle that first there is humiliation before exaltation. They feel like they're excluded, they're not worthy, they're barren, they're not up to par. And what does the Lord do? He reverses their circumstances. He makes them the very highest. Who love the name of the Lord, that they may be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without profaning it, holding fast to my covenant. Again, the same ideas. The third time Sabbath keeping has been mentioned. The second time that holding fast to the covenant has been mentioned. Covenant, of course, is also a metaphor describing the Lord's servant. He's appointed as a covenant of the people in chapters 42 and 49. So holding fast to his covenant is holding fast to the Lord's servant. 
But the people upholding Moses as a prophet, they hold fast to everything that Moses says. The same idea. That is parallel with holding fast as a word link in verse 2. Blessed is the man who does so, the person who holds fast to them. That is, to salvation and to righteousness. So holding fast to the covenant is the same thing as holding fast to righteousness. You hold fast to the Lord's servant, to his mouthpiece on the earth, his prophet, his representative, or his messenger. These will I bring to my holy mountain, verse 7, and gladden in my house of prayer. Their offerings and sacrifices shall be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be known as a house of prayer for all nations. It's not just for one exclusive, monopolistic people. It's for everyone, so long as they keep covenant with the Lord. That's all that matters. The Lord is no respecter of persons. It's a house of prayer for all nations. Prayer for what? Well, for something, for something we need. Prayer of thanksgiving, of praise, for things the Lord has already done for us. All nations may know the Lord. All nations can become his people, his covenant people, and pray to him. If they do what he says, what he wants, then he is bound by covenant to bless them. If they offer acceptable sacrifices and offerings on his altar, that is at the temple, in his house of prayer, then blessings will flow upon them and those for whom they pray. That's what King Hezekiah did. He offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to the Lord, and the Lord delivered his people. So did Abraham. So did Moses and many others. So these people really, to be his servants, it means they're also proxies for the deliverance of others. And the way that they obtain those kind of blessings is through offering acceptable sacrifices, offering their own lives, their service, their sufferings, all that they have in the cause of the Lord. Verse 8, For thus says my Lord Jehovah, who gathers up the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to those already gathered. Outcasts of Israel implies those who have gone through covenant curse, who are thrown out, who have been humiliated, oppressed, scattered, they're gathered. Well, we understand that when they have paid the price of their iniquity, as it says in chapter 40. Her guilt has been expiated. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When they have suffered the consequences of transgression, and they have repented, and the Lord who has paid the price of sin and iniquity covers their sins or answers on their behalf according to the law of justice, then they can be gathered from exile. If they again renew the covenant with him, he will reverse their curses and they will turn into blessings. But not only them, others too. And the word others literally means that. Just like the Amish consider themselves to be the covenant people, and those who are not Amish, they call the others, the Andoran. And that's what these are. These are aliens, foreigners, eunuchs, Gentiles. He will gather others to those already gathered. He will gather them all in one, Israel and Gentiles together. It's not important who they are. It's important what they do. These are people who are keeping the Sabbath. These are people who are adhering to the Lord, who serve Him, who want to be His servants. These are holding fast to His covenant, holding fast to righteousness and salvation. What more do you want? Why would you want to exclude somebody like that? The Lord does not. If people do, they have a problem. Verse 9, All you wild beasts, you animals of the forest, come and devour. That's a covenant curse. To be devoured by wild beasts in the ancient Near East and in the Old Testament is a covenant curse. So somebody is having or is incurring covenant curses while 
these foreigners and eunuchs who are loyal to the Lord are being blessed to the highest degree. Others, on the other hand, are being cursed. Who are they? Verse 10, Their watchmen are altogether blind and unaware. All of them are but dumb watchdogs, unable to bark, lolling seers fond of slumber. Watchmen are prophets. The prophets of God's people. All of the watchmen of Lot's people? No, but some. Chapter 52 talks about the watchmen who see eye to eye and lift up their voice. Chapter 52, verse 8. They see the Lord's return to Zion. Those are the good watchmen. But there are some watchmen who are the bad watchmen. are not doing their job. But the watchmen, the prophets, are the highest category of society. They're on the highest rung of society in contrast to the foreigners and eunuchs who are the lowest rung of society. So while the lowest rung of society, those who've gone through humiliation and suffering, are now exalted, these who were the highest rung are now humiliated and suffer. Why? Because they're blind and unaware. Who in the book of Isaiah is blind? What is that a word linked to? They're blind and unaware. That imagery is used of idolaters in chapter 44. All who manufacture idols are deranged. The things they cherish profit nothing. Those who promote them are themselves sightless and mindless to their own dismay. They have become unaware and insensible. Their eyes are glazed so they cannot see. Their minds are incapable of discernment. That's how people get blind and unaware. Chapter 1 starts off that way. The Lord's people, in their rebellious state, in their wicked condition, are a nation astray. Israel does not know my people are insensible. A nation astray, a people weighed down by sin, offspring of wrongdoers, perverse children. And here, prophets are put in that category. All of them are but dumb watchdogs, unable to bark. A watchdog is there to warn of trouble coming. Trouble is coming, and they don't bark. Remember what a watchman is supposed to do in chapter 21? When he sees trouble coming, he's supposed to make it known. Chapter 21, verse 6 says, Go and appoint a watchman who will report what he sees. Verse 10 of chapter 21 says, I have reported what I have heard from the Lord of hosts. What he sees and hears, that he passes on, and these watchmen are unable to do so. Lolling seers fond of slumber. No question it's talking about prophets. Prophets and seers who are asleep, who need to be woken up. Gluttonous dogs and insatiable. They're not even covenant people. They're likened to non-covenant people because dog is not a kosher animal. Such indeed are insensible shepherds. They're all diverted to their own way, everyone after his own advantage. Like Ezekiel 34, where the shepherds of the people are smiting and scattering the flock and feeding themselves off the fattest instead of ministering to their flocks and nurturing and gathering up the sheep and the lambs. These people don't care. They're insatiable for food, perhaps not just physical food, but other things. And they're insensible, they have grown insensible to the needs of their people, or trouble coming. What does the shepherd do? He protects the sheep, he leads them to pasture, he wards off wolves and dogs and animals of prey, protects the sheep. These do not. They're all diverted their own way, everyone after his own advantage. Verse 11, they're selfish, where they should be unselfish, where they should be proxies on behalf of others, and not even proxies for themselves. Come, they say, let us get wine, verse 12 and have our fill of liquor, for tomorrow will be like today, only far better. Wine and liquor is associated with Ephraim in chapter 28. The drunkards of Ephraim are mentioned there, who come under condemnation. 
and also identified with Egypt. Egypt is like a drunkard staggering into his vomit, chapter 19. These are rhetorical links, or linking ideas. For tomorrow will be like today, they say, only far better. They think things are going to go on the way they are, and they're not. Everything is going to change overnight. All of a sudden, the Lord is going to turn the tables on these guys. The Lord is going to cause a reversal of circumstances for his righteous people, for the wicked. Those who exalt themselves now will be humbled. Those who are humbled now will be exalted. Those who suffer now will be saved. Those who are saved now will suffer, and so forth. They're in an inebriated state. They're not fulfilling their callings as prophets of the Lord. By choosing the highest rung of the ladder of society and the lowest rung of society and showing what happens to them, Isaiah, of course, also means everybody else in between. Isaiah does that. Same as we saw earlier in the beginning where he picked on the um, widows and orphans as an example of the needy in society. That's an extreme example of the needy, and these are also extreme examples. But that doesn't mean that Isaiah limits himself only to these extreme examples. He also means everybody in between who does these kinds of things. In these kinds of ways, the Lord will deal with them.